This morning we are going to be talking about the need to always be prepared. Not with first aid kits or food storage for a would-be zombie apocalypse, but the need to always be prepared as Christians to give a reasonable explanation about why we are Christians. To always be ready, to be prepared to give a reasonable explanation as to why we're Christians. Why we are relentlessly Christians. Even when it might cost us, we're still Christians. Even when there might be great opposition because of what we believe or what we say or what we do, we're still Christians. That's First Peter chapter 3. Context is suffering. Context is Christians like you and like me. At this point in time, the, 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 the great persecution against Christians that would, that would flood through the, the, the Roman Empire hadn't happened yet. It was, it was going to happen. But Peter, <clears throat> excuse me, Peter, an apostle of Jesus, is, is helping. He's coming alongside Christians and helping them to understand suffering and how to sort it out and how to work it through and how to be sustained. But today we're going to focus on when he encourages those Christians to always be prepared. In the context of your suffering, in the context of you're going to stay faithful to Jesus because he's faithful to you, in the context of that suffering, when people might be saying, why don't you leave it alone already with your Christian morality, your Christian convictions, your Christian theology, just drop it. Why you don't is because Christ is the Lord, we're going to see, devotion to Him ultimately. But in that context, you should always be ready. Always be ready to give a reasonable explanation as to why you believe in Jesus. So that's going to be the focus today. We're going to review just a little bit because some of us, some are just joining us. But we're in chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 13 and following. We're going to be able to look at the context. But really what I want to do is I want to, just for today, zero in on the always be ready part. Okay? So the greater context is suffering and being sustained. But today we're going to focus on that because this is going to be a three-parter. So last week was week one. This is week two, focusing on being ready. And then next week we'll talk about the remainder in part three. So chapter three, verses 13 to 22. Let's dive right in. Verse 13. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Before that, in 13, I guess I skipped it. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Generally speaking, that's the case. But then even if you suffer for what is right in your beliefs and what your convictions are, you're honoring Christ with your morality, all that would be included. He says you'll be blessed. And the reason we will be blessed is not because it's somehow positive confession. If we just say it's okay, it is going to be okay. He's going to go on to show us you'll, you'll be blessed because you're united to Christ. If you're a Christian, you're united to Christ. You have Christ, as we like to say as Christians, and all of His benefits including resurrection, we're going to see. So you will be blessed, ultimately. You're blessed to be united to Christ. That's why I encourage you to always connect the verse 14, to connect verse 14 to verse 18 and see the parallel. I mentioned it last week. Suffer for righteousness. Suffer for what's right. 
18, for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous. So you're going to suffer because your convictions are right or righteous. The blessing comes because you're identified with Jesus, who is the righteous. The only reason you're still a Christian is because you're connected to Him and He's the righteous. He's the one that gives you all the spiritual benefits. So we have to keep that in mind. That sustains us. That keeps us going. This is happening to me because I'm identified with the, the righteous, the one who, that, that word means upholder of law, the one who didn't do anything wrong ever, not just in the eyes of human beings, if they're honest, but in the eyes of God as our representative in our place. He did it for us, the righteous, and as we're going to see later, so that he could bring us to God. It's great what Christ did for us. So even though there's conflict in people, it would be easier if I weren't a Christian. I'm going to stay believing in Jesus, even if it costs me. That's what we're seeing here. That's what it's all about. Let's keep moving by way of review again. Have no fear of them, the ones causing the suffering, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, the true you, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And that's just grandly loaded Christ. He's the Messiah deliverer who was promised. So you, you got that right. The long-awaited, anticipated, prophesied one. He's Christ, this Jesus from Nazareth. He's Christ. Oh, I'm going to stay with Him, regardless of what it costs me. He, he's Christ the Lord. Borrowing from the Old Testament, Yahweh. He's the one true living God, the Almighty God, the powerful God. He's Christ the Lord. I'm not going to compromise and say I don't believe what's true. I'm going to stick with Him. He's Christ the Lord. And then then He says, as holy, as unique, as different, I'm going to respect authority. First Peter told me to respect authority. There are lesser lords, lowercase l. But He is Christ. There are other deliverers. There are other kings, anointed ones. No, but He's Christ. Christ the Lord unmatched, unrivaled, you would be insane to have any competition and to have Him as holy, a special place, unrivaled. So, because I believe that salvation is of Him, I might be opposed. Because I believe that I need to do, believe what He said is right and wrong, I might be opposed. And on the list goes. But he's Christ the Lord, and if I see him as holy because he is, even though I don't want to lose the job, or the promotion, or the reputation, those are valuable things. The relationship, valuable things, good and important, some of the most valuable some of the most holy things in life based upon how you use your time, based upon how I use my time, have to do with our jobs and our families and our friendships and our reputations. Those are the holy things in our life. The special protect, invest in. It's good to know that. But remember... Christ the Lord as holy. Unrivaled. 
So even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you might not. You might. You might. And based upon our current climate and watching things happen, you really might. You really might. It's pretty wild to think about. I read an article recently called God in the Gulag, Christianity's Survival in Soviet Russia. It's fascinating. I don't know why I'm so fascinated with those things lately. I I read the abridged version of the Gulag Archipelago. I don't even know how to say it. I think it's multi-volumes. I could only do, you know, the 700-page version, whatever. I'm not saying we're that. But it would be shocking to think that you as a Christian won't be paying a price for righteousness' sake like people haven't in this country ever before. So this isn't just, you know, a homily or whatever. A sermonette. Sermonettes are for Christianettes, right? As your pastor, I want to say, if you suffer for righteousness' sake, remember Christ the Lord as holy. Holy, holy. One of the reasons why it was fascinating being in Siberia for lots of different reasons. I'm still recovering. How many? 15 years later. But in the... I I don't know what's changed, but strong convictions in the Baptist Union, that would be the big evangelical group, if you will, that you can be saved and lose your salvation. It doesn't come from the Bible. What leads those convictions aren't first and foremost what the text of Scripture teaches. First and foremost, the reason that theology pervades the culture, that Christian culture, is because they watched so many professing Christians deny the faith because persecution was so bad. So we might criticize their theology and say, haven't you read John chapter 10? Haven't you read John chapter 6? Haven't you, haven't you, haven't you? It's easy to criticize and say, the Bible teaches eternal security. And I would do that. And I did that in a class. (laughs) But I think we can show some understanding and compassion because it's really easy from where I sit. Persecution can be fast and swift and severe and devastating, and I don't want it for any of us. But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, remember Christ, even what does that mean? The ultimate deliverer, the ultimate reigner, ruler, the Lord, the unrivaled one, true, living, eternal God, as holy. 
more precious than anything you will ever feel, see, experience, or have. You've got to remember our theology. It'll sustain us by God's grace. Let's keep moving. Verse 15, always being prepared. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So let's just settle in right there for now. That's what I want to have be true of every single Christian in this room before you go today. Some of you don't need the help. Just review. Maybe I'm helping you. That you would always be prepared to give a defense, to give a, a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. It is the classic apologetics text. It is the text when we, come, when we want to talk about Christian apologetics, defending the faith, that's where, where the, what the word is uh, in the Greek New Testament, apologia, defense. I don't want anyone in the room to think that you can't do that. Okay? He's not writing a letter to PhD students in Bible college, seminary, any of that stuff. I'm super grateful for people who we call Christian apologists. They, they defend the faith. They do formalized debates. They write great books. We have some of them in our bookstore. I'm so thankful for people who, are, who, who do this on the front lines as professionals in academia because it needs to be done, I think. I have good friends who do it. But... Please, Mr. and Mrs. Christian and your wonderful kids. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be able to do this. And guess what? It's not hard. It's not hard at all. It's not hard to be able to do what he says to do. In fact, we think it's hard, so we make it hard, and so we're not good at it. Okay? So let's just spend a little bit of time, and I I will help you. You'll be able to be ready to do this before you leave if you're at all alert and willing. Let's be able to be good at this to honor God. It's not difficult. Always being prepared, okay, so it's something that that it's to always be the case. He's writing to Christians, so this is uh, broad. Being prepared, you want to be prepared, so it does involve some thoughtfulness. Let's do that. It's not going to come somehow through a, a zapper or something crazy. To make a defense, there's our word. It's a legal word, so it, uh, something rational, something that's thoughtful, something that people could analyze and track with. Um, Like I said last week, I said, here's a pro tip. Don't start with I feel, because he's not talking about feelings. uh, As you're standing before the judge and I I felt this way, well, facts don't care about your feelings, right? He's talking about in the fact realm, okay? Too many Christians say, I feel about Christian things, and I I, I feel certain ways about Jesus. I feel wonderful about Jesus, and and it gives me a good feeling to know that my sins aren't held against me, and feelings are awesome, but that's not what he's talking about. So I know you might not mean that, but don't say that. And I realize it may cause someone difficulty because you sound dogmatic, because you say, this is what I believe it might trigger, I understand that. So we want to say feel, don't say feel. Okay, you're already being persecuted for righteousness sake. This is, this is the easy part. Okay, I'll, let's move on, right? Hurry up. I feel like you should hurry, is what you're thinking. Always being prepared to make a defense. 
Think facts. Think history. Defense. To anyone who asks you, so this is to anyone, so this could be someone with lots of letters after their name, or this could be um, someone else who asks you for a reason. Again, this is an explanation in the context of defense. This is rational. This makes sense. This isn't irrational. This isn't nonsense. This isn't feelings for the hope that is in you. Could be translated among you, and maybe that helps us to understand. Among you Christians. It maybe helps us to understand. This isn't just this internal kind of feeling. He may mean in you because it's in the core of who you are. But for now, I prefer to translate it among you. Why do you Christians not retaliate? Why do you Christians not just say, well, you know what, we used to think that, but now we don't think that anymore because the culture has helped us figure it out. No. Why is it that you Christians do this? Believe this. How about another word that's really important to see in 1 Peter? To give a reason for the hope that is in you. Hope is a, is a great word in Peter. And hope in Peter doesn't mean, I hope so. I hope I win the lottery. I hope I never get sick and die. I hope everyone likes me. I hope we win the game. I hope. It's not how Peter uses it. Peter uses the word hope in reference to the bodily resurrection of Jesus, a historic act. And he uses it in reference to the bodily return of Jesus as a historic act. That's how he uses it. Chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 21. Chapter 3, verse 5. Chapter 3, verse 18. He doesn't use it in a, I hope so. No. He, our hope, you need to be ready, prepared to give a reason for the hope that Christians have, the hope that is among you, the hope that is in you. The, the reason we give an explanation uh, or our defense for hope, we're talking about our defense of, of a conviction regarding resurrection. I believe I'm going to be raised from the dead. I believe I'm going to be raised from the dead and be able to worship God without any sin, without any difficulty. I believe in bodily resurrection. What do you base that on? You crazy Christian. I base that on the fact that the tomb was empty. History. That's what I base on. See, that's reasonable. That's rational. That's defendable. Doesn't mean everybody believes it. <clears throat> but I'm a Christian and I have Christian convictions. So I believe what Jesus says about marriage. I believe what Jesus says about men. I believe what he says about women. I, I have no other choice. And you say, why do you do that? It'd be way easier if you didn't do that. And so you wouldn't suffer for righteousness sake. Well, you know what? I believe the one who died by death experts and was bodily raised again from the dead and talked about it and interpreted it kind of don't have a choice. Christ the Lord uh, as, as holy. That's it. That's it. And by the way, that's a reasonable defense. 
Now, we're going to go a little bit further, but that's reasonable. So you don't have to use words like apologia. You don't have to do that. You don't have to talk about the hypostatic union. You don't have to talk about any of those things. You don't have to talk about anything fancy. You can use monosyllabic words. Why is it that you're a Christian and still a Christian? Why is it that you have Christian convictions? Because I believe in the historic person, Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, who lived a perfect life and talked and explained himself, not to be left up to our interpretation. And then he was crucified in real time, in space, in history by a historic people. He died... And then he was raised again from the dead before witnesses in real time, in real space, in real history. That's why. That's reasonable. I want it to be super easy. I just made it too hard. I'm a Christian. A reasonable explanation is Jesus was a person here, lived, died, rose again, talked about it. That's why. Seriously, I just want you to at least be able to get that. Oh, apologetics. and It doesn't mean you're not going to be nervous. But if somebody says, why are you a Christian? I'm a Christian because Jesus is a real person. And he talked. And then he died on a cross. And he rose again from the dead. And the only explanation I have for being a Christian is that. Now, there's more to it. Reasonable explanation. Jesus isn't dead. He's raised from the dead. I mean, should I just keep saying it again? I mean, I, 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 I think actually that's what Peter's getting at here. You're giving a reasonable explanation for your hope, context, resurrection. Well, it's the fact that he was raised. That's why you're a Christian? Yep. Unrivaled. No one else did what he did. Ever. So let's, let's really work hard at keeping it that simple. Maybe if you want another passage, a good summary of this, it, it's verse 18. Verse 18 is just un, unrivaled, deluxe, amazing. Let's keep it in the context if you want to do that. I like to do that. The reason for the, the reasonable, rational explanation of the hope that is in us, the answer is Jesus. But 18 helps you. For Christ also suffered for sins Okay, the suffering, there's, de- there's, there's the death. He suffered for sins, there's his death. The righteous for the unrighteous, ah, there's his life, righteous. Righteous is, uh, is what he did in his life and culminating in his, going to the cross and his obedience. So we've got his death, we have his life. I'll reverse the order for simplicity and chronology. His perfect life. Why are you a Christian? Because Jesus is the one and only person who ever lived a perfect life and fulfilled all righteousness. Jesus Christ, the righteous. I'm a Christian because he lived a perfect life on my behalf and God only accepts perfection. We're going a little deeper, I know, but let's just have it be life. Then suffered for sins. Oh, his death, life, Death, that's why I'm a Christian, because of the real life and the real death of Jesus, atoning death, for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Third category, right? Am I going too fast for you? 
No, I know I'm not. Resurrection. His life, death, resurrection, the reason for the hope in me is because of Jesus. That's it. That's apologetics. That's a reasonable explanation for why you're devoted to Christ. Don't make it harder than that. Now, are there other issues to talk about? Yes, there are other issues to talk about. Is there high-level, Ph.D.-level apologetics needing to go on? Yes. I'm thankful. Absolutely. Have friends who do it. But this is not that. First and foremost, everyone in this room who can think basic concepts, I'm a Christian because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the reason for the hope that's in me. That's it. That's it. Yeah, but that's not really historic. And Could you show me a video and prove it? And there's plenty of history. And you don't need to do what I'm about ready to do. Okay, You can just leave it at that. But it's like me saying to my phone this morning, I hope I don't cause any of your phones to go off, by the way, or my iPad. Siri, when were photographs invented? Whenever, 18 whatever. Siri, when did George Washington die? 17 whatever. Siri, show me a photograph of George Washington. And then it's, here's what I found on the web. She answered the first two questions. And then, here's what I found on the web for images of George Washington. There are no photographs. So he didn't exist? No. Don't be stupid. But it makes a good point. It makes a good point. But you don't even need to try to be that fancy. Verse 18 is just a great, great summary for us. Life death, resurrection. Oh, one more important concept in there. He uses the word for. For. He uses the word for in place of. Substitute. The righteous for the unrighteous. I'm a Christian because Jesus not only lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death and rose again from the dead, He did it for me. Personally. And we could go on and explain the ramifications. But the reason I have hope of everlasting, eternal, resurrected life, and I'm not going to let it go, is because of that. It's that simple. But that also comes with it. I've, I've got to see Him as the ultimate authority on everything. And so I might suffer for righteousness, for what's true and what's not true. And by the way, he did it now off a little bit here, but he did it for the unrighteous. I'm in a place in my world where I'm being told I can't call things that are unrighteous, unrighteous. And if you can't call things that God says are unrighteous, unrighteous, people don't need Jesus. And you just committed a terrible compromise. A compromise of unrighteousness. Pro tip number two, don't say my truth versus your truth. (laughs) 
Here's a question for you, though. What if this doesn't work? What if it doesn't convince somebody? I would like it to convince everybody so they would get off my back and leave me alone, be nice to me again. But I would also like the person I'm telling this to, that I'm defending the faith to, I would like them to believe in Jesus. And many of us think if they don't, we failed, and so that's why we don't keep it this simple. And I would remind you, let me help you in light of First Peter and what we've been learning. It's not up to you to cause them to be born again. And I chose that on purpose. In chapter 1, two times, chapter 1, verse 3, He has caused us to be born again. God is the causer when it comes to people coming to be born a second time and believe these things. So you explaining the truth about Jesus and them not being born again as a result is not a sign of failure because you're not the one who causes them with your persuasiveness to begin with. And if we keep going in 1 Peter chapter 1, in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23, he says, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So the, the way they became Christians is the way anyone becomes a Christian. It is through the gospel, the living and abiding, I think he means gospel there, the word of God. And so God does use that. But just because someone hears the gospel one time doesn't guarantee that they're going to be born a second time. But it is how it happens. So here's what we do. We tell everybody. Even when we're taking it on the chin, we tell everybody, everybody who wants to know, doesn't matter who you are, I'll tell you the good news about Jesus and that's why I have the hope that I have. Conviction regarding the future, that's hope. God might use it to cause them to be born again. But that's in God's hands. I love Romans chapter 10. I love it perhaps, no, I, I love Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by what? Hearing. So we like to tell. We like to tell. When things are going great and things aren't going so great, we like to tell. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Gospel. How about we move on to verse 15. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. Same word sometimes translated meekness. Always remember, meekness doesn't mean weakness. Jesus was meek and He had all the power at His fingertips. But He had it under control for a certain purpose, a certain cause. So as we do this, we do it with meekness. We do it with gentleness. Doesn't mean we're weak. We're holding things under control. And respect, he says. It's the word literally fear, but it can be translated either way based upon the context. Some people say this is in relationship to God so because we don't fear these people that are doing this to us. And that's theologically true and it might be what he means here. Respect for God, fear of God because he's, he's the Lord. That might be true. I think the flow now is talking about other people, so I'm going to go that direction. But we can still be friends. With gentleness, it's under control. 
and respect. Remember, he had talked about all the different kinds of people and authorities. They're not the ultimate authority. I'm devoted to Christ ultimately. That's why I hold the convictions. But I can at the same time, to the best of my ability, be respectful to the person I'm talking to. Maybe because they're my superior, but certainly because they're a fellow human being. And not only that, I know that the only reason I'm a Christian is because of God's sovereign grace and mercy. And so I can be respectful toward that person. Even though they're irrational, even though they're an unbeliever, even though they're still the enemy of God, I can be respectful toward that person. Because I'm not speaking as a proud person who figured it out. I'm speaking of a, as a person who showed me mercy. And so I can be respectful toward people even though they're not right. Having a good conscience. That should be paired with what he's going to say. He's going to say good behavior and righteousness. So I have a clear conscience because I did what God said. I believe what God said. I'm affirming what is true about Christ. I have a good conscience. I didn't do, the, I didn't do what's wrong. I did what's right. I have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, spoken against, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, shown to be wrong. For it is better to suffer for doing good or doing what's righteous or doing what's good according to Christ if that should be God's will, then for doing evil, doing bad. Verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered, we saw it already, for sins, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, that would be on the cross, but made alive in the Spirit, that would be the resurrection, which He's going to spell out in particular in verse 21, but we won't get to it this morning. I know we're running out of time, but I have to ask the question, what brings a person to God according to verse 18? What brings a person to God according to verse 18? It's fascinating that he might bring us to God. Let's start with righteousness brings a person to God. Adherence to law. Do this and live. God says, love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's righteousness, and that would bring you to God if you did that, if you could do that. But we're all related to Adam, so we can't do that. He was our representative. Righteousness is what brings you to God. Jesus Christ, the righteous, brings us, because He's the substitute who's righteous, to God. Not only that, for the unrighteous and the death, so it takes away the guilt, so removal of the guilt, provision of the righteousness, haha, I love it, brings us to God. No one else can bring you to God except Jesus Christ, the righteous. Therefore, again, you stay devoted to Christ. I'm not going to deny the faith. I'm not going to say what's wrong is right and what's right is wrong. Because I'm trusting in the one who can bring me to God. It is awesome to think about that. Resurrected brings us to God. When you go today, and I corner you, say, tell me, give me a reason for the hope that is in you. At least say, Jesus. 
Okay? Jesus. Two syllables. Christ. See, I made it even easier. One syllable. That's the reason for the hope. We're going to pray and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and isn't that fitting? In remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. Do this until I come again. <laughs> it doesn't take very long to think, oh, I'm a Christian because of the life, death, and resurrection. That's assumed in His return of Jesus. You've got to remember that. Father, thank You for this morning and thank You for the great, great reality that is Jesus Christ the righteous for the unrighteous. And we're grateful that according to your, your great grace we can have our sins forgiven. Lord, as this morning's been a good morning of being further equipped to live in a world that's sometimes hostile against us, help us not to become the ones who are hostile, but truthful, showing gentleness and respect. Thank you so much for the fact that we're going to eat in remembrance of Jesus and drink in remembrance of Jesus. The great new covenant reality that we belong to you according to your perfect grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.